welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. Are Canadians done with the Bible? Well, that was the focus of the Bible engagement study, a groundbreaking investigation sampling 4,500 Canadians in every province regarding their use, beliefs about, and attitudes toward the Bible. It was the first ever comprehensive national study conducted in English and French of how and why Canadians do or do not connect with the Bible. Well, the study was commissioned to raise awareness about the importance of Bible reading and reflection and fuel the development of culturally relevant biblical resources and, and serve as a benchmark to measure Bible engagement and help facilitate Canadians being informed and transformed by the scriptures. Well, the study found that three main factors determine how frequently Canadians read their Bibles. They were confidence, conversation, community. Well, under confidence, the study found that only 18% of Canadians strongly agree the Bible is the Word of God, down from 35% in 1996. 69% of Canadians and half of Christians agree the Bible has irreconcilable contradictions. One in seven Canadians and one in four Christians strongly agree that the Bible is relevant to modern life. 64% of Canadians and six in 10 Christians believe that the scriptures of all major world religions teach essentially the same things. Under conversation, the study found that only about one in 10 Canadians and two in 10 Christians reflect on the meaning of the Bible for their lives at least a few times a week. Only 6% of Canadians and 11% of Christians talk to others about the Bible outside of religious services at least once a week. Well, under the heading of community, here's what the study found. More frequent church attendance is associated with confidence in the Bible. During a time when church attendance was in decline, confidence in the Bible as the Word of God remained constant for each level of attendance. Bible reading, they found, is more prevalent in some religious traditions. Evangelicals, which were 7% of this study, accounted for almost half, some 43% of frequent Bible readers. Comparatively, 13% of frequent Bible readers are mainstream Protestants, 11% are English Catholics, and 4% are French Catholics. The study concluded that, given that large swaths of the church lack confidence in the Bible and rarely participate in conversations about the Bible, there is much work to be done. The study also suggests that most Canadians know very little of the content of the Bible. Even when they have access to a Bible, they are more likely to read in the meaning they assume lies under the text rather than engaging the text itself. This suggests 
that the Bible is not directly shaping much of the church in Canada. The study found that it is important for people to believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it is reliable and trustworthy, and that it has unique teachings. Churches can strengthen Bible engagement by directly teaching these things. Conversation with others about the meaning of the Bible is the key factor in deepening Bible engagement. In order to talk to people about the Bible, well, you have to read it. You have to reflect on it. And you have to be present with other people. Well, that's exactly why week after week on our program, I encourage you, visit our website, look for a Bible study group, contact us through the website, and we're going to help you connect with a Bible study group, or we're going to study with you. Bible study has been declining in Canada for several decades, maybe even longer. This is just not, however, just a story about the Bible. It's a story about declining church attendance also. To the extent that the Bible is the church's book, the fate of Bible study and, the, and church attendance are inextricably linked. Now, this Canadian study mirrors the results of an American study by George Gallup Jr. and Jim Costelli. In that study, they put the problem this way. Americans revere the Bible, but, by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Well, this is really our problem. And really, it's up to this generation of Christians to reverse course. Recovery starts at home. Uh, parents, listen, those of us that are parents, we are the first and foremost the most important educators of their own children, teaching them the word of God. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, we cannot franchise our responsibility to a congregation, no matter how faithful, no matter how biblical that congregation might be. God assigned parents this non-negotiable responsibility, and our children must see their Christian parents as teachers and fellow students of God's word. Churches. The churches must recover the centrality and urgency of biblical teaching and preaching. Gallup and Costelli, they sort of conclude their study with this. The many fronts of Christian compromise can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy 
in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching and teaching in our homes and churches. Wow, that's quite an indictment. Our, our viewers tell us that one of the things that you most appreciate about our program is our focus on the Bible. Well, on this program, I want to look at some of the most challenging questions you and I face on a daily basis. Things like, what happens to us when we die? Why do bad things happen to good people? And we go to the Bible for answers. This is our textbook. You want to know what happens to us when we die? The Bible tells us. This is the only rule of faith for the followers of Jesus. Now, this typically raises the big question. Why believe the Bible? It's one thing to say the Bible is true, but how do you know it's true? Well, that question has to be answered because everything I'm going to share with you is based on the Bible. So we have to answer that question. Why believe the Bible? You see, to many that are watching, many that are non-Christians, the Bible to them is no more than an antiquated collection of myths and fables. You know, to others, they'll say, well, it's a good book, but it's not God's book. Probably the biggest single fact that people have to deal with concerning the Bible is this. It claims to be not the word of men, but it claims to be the word of God. In the Old Testament alone, phrases like God said or God spoke or the word of the Lord came, those phrases occur nearly 4,000 times. The Apostle Paul said this about the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. He said, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now here's what Jesus said about the Bible. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. Jesus believed the Bible was totally, completely, absolutely true and was indeed the Word of God. Now, if that is true, then there should be compelling reasons why we ought to believe the Bible. Well, I believe there are compelling reasons. They exist. You see, for me, the unity and the consistency of the Bible message is a proof of authenticity. You see, here you have a book. It's actually 66 books in one, written over a period of some 1,500 years by 40 different authors living in three different continents, writing in three different languages, writing on many controversial topics, and yet they all wrote on one theme and they all said exactly the same thing. 
the first book of the Bible begins in a garden in paradise. In that garden, there's a tree. It's called the tree of knowledge and good and evil. When you go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, written some 1,500 years later, you end up again in the paradise of God, where there's an, another tree, the tree of healing for the nations. In Genesis, man is driven out of the garden because of his sin, and he is forbidden to eat of that tree. In Revelation, he is invited to come in and to partake of the tree that he might live forever. In Genesis, there is a river which flows from the garden. In Revelation, there is a river that flows from the throne of God. The golden thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation is the redemption of sinful man by the grace of God through faith in their Redeemer named Jesus Christ. The Bible is not a science book, but if it is true... And if it's God's word, well, you would expect it to be scientifically realistic. A striking evidence for me that this book is truth and that it's God's word is found in the fact that many principles of modern science were recorded as facts of nature in the Bible long before any scientist ever confirmed them through experiment. Thousands of years ago, Scientists thought that winds blew always in a straight direction. Of course, meteorologists now know that wind travels within circuits. They call them jet streams. Well, that is exactly what the Word of God says. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 6, blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, on its circular courses, the wind returns. In ancient times, doctors saw no need for washing their hands. And many people died from the hands of doctors because they carried on those hands the germs that killed. Later on, doctors began to wash their hands in still water, but people were still dying. Today, any doctor will tell you you always wash your hands in running water to make sure that every germ is totally washed away. Look at what it says in Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 13. Now when the man with the discharge becomes cleansed from his discharge, then he shall count off for himself seven days for his cleansing. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water and will become clean. Herbert Spencer was a famous scientist, one of the, probably one of the most famous scientists. He was the one who discovered and really identified classifications for all knowable matter. All that is knowable, he said, can be classified. Well, and he was hailed as a genius for this development. He found that all knowable things could be put into five classifications. And he listed those for the scientific world. Time, force, action, space, and matter. 
and he put them exactly in that order. Time, force, action, space, and matter. The scientific world hailed that as a great discovery. Well, what Herbert Spencer didn't know was that's exactly how the Bible begins. In the beginning, that's time. God, that's force. Created, that's action. The heavens, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. Right at the very beginning of the Bible. It's right there. There is in science what is called the second law of thermodynamics. It's the law that says that all matter is breaking down. And it's interesting that that's exactly what the Bible says. You see, prior to the fall, that wasn't true. But as soon as the fall came, death entered the scene and everything began to follow this second law of thermodynamics. Everything is breaking down. In Romans chapter 8, it says that the whole creation groans. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans, waiting for the time of glorification. The study of hydrology which is the process of the cycle of water. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, it says, As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now, what does that say? What Isaiah is saying, he says the rain comes down and then it goes back up again. Well, what is that? Well, that's evaporation, isn't it? That's part of the process of hydrology. Now, let me ask you a question. How did Isaiah know that? How did he know that? You go to the 135th Psalm, verse 7. It says, He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. Job 26, verse 8, it says, He wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the cloud does not burst under them. You've got it coming down, ascending in vapor, and then held in the clouds again. That's exactly the way it works. Now, I want you to understand exactly what I mean when I tell you I why I believe the Bible is true. When I say the Bible is true, obviously I mean that it's factual, that it actually records historical events, that it's scientifically true, that it's prophetically true. But truth goes beyond accuracy. You see, something can be true and factual, but have no significance at all. I mean, I can tell you the truth about how many buttons I have on this shirt, the shirt I'm wearing right now. I can tell you how many buttons I have, but who cares? When I talk about the Bible being true, I mean it's significantly true because it answers the three key questions of life itself. 
the first two chapters of the Bible begin by answering the first key question. Who am I and how did I get here? The third chapter of the Bible answers the second key question. What's wrong with this world? Why is there evil and suffering? The rest of the Bible answers the third question. What is the solution? How can this world be made right again? How can I be made right with God? If you doubt that this book has that kind of power, listen to what John Adams, the second president of the United States, wrote in his diary. He wrote this, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? I mean, who can deny that if every country in the world did what John Adams said this world should do, this would be a radically different place. It would be a far better place. Anatoly Sharansky, dissident Soviet Jew, kissed his wife goodbye as she left Russia for freedom in Israel. His parting words to her were, I'll see you soon in Jerusalem. But Anatoly was detained and finally imprisoned. Their reunion in Jerusalem would not only be postponed, well, it might never occur. During long years in the Russian prisons and war camps, Anatoly was stripped of his personal belongings. His only possession was a miniature copy of the Psalms. Once during his imprisonment, his refusal to release the book to authorities cost him 130 days in solitary confinement. Finally, 12 years after parting with his wife, he was offered freedom. In February 1986, as the world watched, Sharansky was allowed to walk away from Russian guards toward those who would take him to Jerusalem. But in the final moments of captivity, the guards tried to confiscate that little book of Psalms. Anatoly threw himself face down in the snow and refused to walk to freedom without that book of Psalms. Those words had kept him alive during imprisonment. He was not about to go into freedom without them with him. Everybody on this planet, including you and me, has to make a decision. Since you have all these religious books out there, and they all say different things about God, about heaven, hell, creation, Jesus Christ, there are only two options. Option one is, they are all wrong. Option two is, one is right. The Bible could be just a bunch of myths and fairy tales, but based on the evidence, I don't know how you can believe that. Some other religious book may be the real truth and not the Bible. Based on the evidence, I just don't believe that. All of these books may be wrong, but they cannot all be right. 
As for me, I'm going to go with the man that came back from the dead who said, your word is truth. As for me and my household, I'm going with the Bible. Let us pray. Our gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word of scripture that has inspired, consoled, strengthened, and motivated so many. Father, if there's any viewer here today that has not yet placed their faith in your word, may you open their eyes to the reality that your word is truth. Sanctify them in thy truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of another program. I want to thank you again for joining us. Thank you for all the kind words and the prayers and the uh, offers of encouragement. If you want to get a hold of me, you can by email, bill at l4ltv.com. Send me a note. Send me a prayer request. And I'll do my best to get back to you just as quickly as I possibly can. Before we go, I want to remind you of our website, l4ltv.com. On the website, you can find a Bible study group. I want to encourage you to study the Bible. We talked about the Bible today. Uh, find a Bible study group. If you can't find one and you're interested in Bible study, write to me. I'll get you set up. All of the previous programs are on the website also, as are the live appearances. So if you want to find out where I'm going to be appearing live, you want to come out and see me, it's there on the website under the live appearances page. You can send prayer requests, and if you feel so impressed to do so, you can send a donation. I just want you to know that those donations go exclusively to this ministry. They don't come to me. They don't go to my family. They go to keep this program on the air. And we'll send you a charitable donation receipt uh, for income tax purposes. Well, I'll be praying that the good Lord gives us the privilege of being back again next week. I'm going to be praying for you also. I hope you take care. See you next time.